Good evening. Welcome to Line by Line. I'm Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to be diving into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 tonight. So join us. We're going to pray first, and then we will make our way into the letter, the second letter from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Corinth. Father, hmm, we recognize the, the reality that you are all around us right now. We ask you to give us the grace to be aware of that, to come into a greater awareness of it right now than we ever have. You are not far away. You are near. This book that we are studying was breathed out by you. So teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, wow. Um, let's go straight to the scripture. We're going to look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they have gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urge I can't read that. <laughs> uh, it's it, something wrong with my screen. Just as he had earlier made a beginning, I guess the word would be Titus. I don't know why I can't read that. As he earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, also see that see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this manner. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, 
so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire... Oops, what just happened? Sorry about that. Is that others might be relieved while you, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equity, equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. I am having so many issues today. Thanks be to God. who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he who was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carried the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself, and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so, because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Okay, so... We um, are switching to a little bit of, I don't know what you would call it, house business now. Um, you know, this this is a conversation, uh, again, which has been happening a lot in this letter, where if you don't know what's going on with Paul, you might get a hair lost. Um, but, uh, but because of the book of Acts, thankfully, we have the book of Acts. And because of the book of Acts, we know what's going on here. Um, in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, uh, starting in verse 27, it says this, during, the, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus and stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So uh, Paul had gone to Jerusalem, um, and or I'm sorry, Paul had been in Antioch, 
And there was this prophetic word that came through uh, a well-known New Testament prophet named Agabus. We don't have any writings from Agabus, but he's mentioned several times in the New, in the New Testament as being a reliable prophet. Um, and he prophesied that there was going to be a great famine, and that the 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 church in uh, the church in Judea would be particularly hard hit. So the church everywhere else in the world made the decision to um, take up a collection that they would send to the church in Jerusalem so that the church in Jerusalem, which was the mother church, kind of the, the, the first church, the place where all of this started, that they would be okay and they would not suffer too much because of uh, this great famine that was coming. Um, so that took quite a while. It took apparently over a year to gather everything and to take it back to Jerusalem. And um, that's where we find ourselves in this letter to the, the this second letter to the church at Corinth. Um, Paul is trying to gather that money together along with Titus and two other guys he mentions, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, to take that money back to Jerusalem so that uh, the the church in Jerusalem can make it through this difficult uh, time of, of famine. I really, there's so much to say about that. Um, the first thing, honestly, for me is, uh, I'm I'm astounded by uh, the 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 accuracy and the power of the prophetic gift in the early church. I mean they they took it they took Agabus's word as uh, as a true prediction of what was coming, and it did come. Now I didn't do any research. I probably should have to see what uh, you know uh, what happened during this famine during the reign of Claudius, um, Luke mentions it and expects us to know which which family he's talking about um which is why he names the emperor who was in charge during all this time um so that we can you know go back and historically verify yeah this really took place i, I think that's amazing and especially in these days friends there's been such Ooh, such uh, of a fight and such difficulty around the modern prophetic movement. I believe in the gift of prophecy. I hunger for days like this where a prophet of the church will stand up and people will know that whatever they that what they hear come out of that prophet's mouth is going to take place to the point where they will will actually, you know, begin to prepare for what that for for what that prophet says. But what we where we find ourselves is we find ourselves in in a situation where we have people who claim to be prophets who stand up and make prophetic words um, that never come to pass, and no one ever calls them on the carpet for it. Nobody ever says, "Hey, where is this thing that you said was going to happen?" Um, the biggest one, the one that was the most out, uh, obvious in recent church history, was all of the prophets, and there were many, who prophesied that uh, President Trump would win the 2020 election, and then he didn't. And we had there were a few prophets during that time who stood up and said, 
I said this was going to happen and it didn't happen. And I was wrong. I missed it. I thought I heard from the Lord. I didn't. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And I have tons of respect for those guys. Uh, but several people that I once really admired made the same kind of prophetic declaration. They said that this was going to happen. And when it didn't happen, they didn't say anything about it. They didn't retract their statement. They didn't make an, you know, they didn't apologize to the body of Christ for mishearing. Um, they, they, they just, oh, well, you know, they, they didn't even, they didn't say anything about it at all. And guys, that's not okay. It's not. It's not okay. Now, I know there's problem. There may be some people watching this now that are, that would tell me, but he did win the election and it was stolen, etc. I don't want to get into all that. It's been proven over and over again. That's not true. Um, but you're probably turning this off right now if you're one of those people that believes that. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, the the I, I I just want to see I want to see a true prophetic voice restored to the church, and I want people who make predictions that don't come true to be honest about that. Um, I have operated in the prophetic since I was 16 years old. Yes, there have been times when I have had to apologize because I heard something that was wrong. I thought I heard something, but I was wrong. And um, and I don't think that takes away from the operation of the prophetic. I think that legitimates it. I think that when prophets, and by the way, New Testament prophets and Old Testament prophets are not the same thing. They operate differently. Um, we shouldn't seek to stone any any New Testament prophets if they if their well-meaning prophetic words don't come to fruition. Um, but uh, it's one of the reasons I'm very, very careful uh, when when I when I say something is a prophetic word, it is something I have agonized over in prayer for a long time. And I usually, there might be times when when I'm getting an impression that I that I from the Lord and and um, but I haven't had the time to 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 really you know pray it through and maybe even fast to make sure that this is that I am hearing the Lord's word um, and when that's the case I'll just tell you I'll just tell you I think this is what I'm hearing this seems to this you know and I'll just be very humble with it and say, I, and I, and I don't, I don't know, at least for a very, very long time, I don't think the words thus saith the Lord have exited my mouth or at least, yeah. Um, I think we need to hold our uh, prophetic gifting carefully and, uh, and be truly humble about it. And, uh, and and operate in love always, 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 always. Uh, so <laughs> I hope. Um, but um, I do believe in the prophetic gift, and I've seen it. I've seen it operate in incredible ways. I've seen, you know, um, uh, very real, very true predictions given and come to fruition and actually happen um, many times. 
And I believe this is something that we as the New Testament church should operate in. Let's just do it with a level of humility and a level of 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 the fear of the Lord, to be honest. But anyway, that was a rabbit trail. That was an Acts 11 rabbit trail. Now we're coming back. So there they uh, Paul is talking about this gift. And apparently what had happened was that when Titus went the first time, remember the story. Um, Paul was on, on a journey. He sent Titus ahead of him with the first letter to the Corinthian church, the one that we have in our Bibles. Then Titus took that letter to the church of Corinth um, and was supposed to come back to Paul. One of the other things that Titus did when he went um, was he let them know, hey, we're going to be taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. We want to offer you the opportunity to be a part of that. The church of Corinth was all for it. Yes, let's do it. Sounds great. Um, and uh, up and 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 they made a beginning. I don't know if they actually gave anything at that time or if they just started to collect money that they were going to send, um, but they made a beginning somehow. And um, and then when Titus went back to find Paul, uh, he told Paul, hey, they're going to give too. And Paul's like, that's fantastic. So now here in this letter, Paul is saying, uh, remember, you said you were going to do this, and and Titus said you made a beginning, so let's let's complete it, let's get it finished, and get this money where it needs to go. Um, and uh, and and Paul is uh, sending Titus with this second letter, and with a couple other guys uh, that we'll talk, like I said, we'll talk about later, um, that are going to help him take care of that money as it moves from one place to another. Um. So there's a lot, this is a lot about giving, and this is a lot about generosity. That's, that is, which is interesting because that's what I'm teaching on on Sunday mornings uh, at Fremont Community Church and uh, right now. Um, and so, so there's a lot to be, there's a lot for us to take from this. And Paul begins by talking about the Macedonian churches. Uh, he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so the Macedonian church is going through some stuff. Paul's talked about that. We've talked about that here. It's been a really difficult time for them. But but even though they were in the midst of a really difficult time themselves, uh, and even though they really didn't have a lot of money, they made the choice and they were led by the spirit to be very generous to the church in Jerusalem. Um, they they came through in a big way. And I, I, I think that's really amazing. I love this. I love this phrase, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Let me ask you a question. Have, have you ever had overflowing joy and extreme poverty at the same time? Uh, there are some Christian teachers out there that would tell you that, uh, that, that Christians uh, uh, should never experience extreme poverty. Um, but here it is right here. <laughs> 
poverty is sometimes a part of the Christian life. Uh, we we the the idea that if we're followers of Jesus, we're always going to be healthy, we're always going to be wealthy, we're always going to be uh, that all of life is going to be beautiful and easy, and that uh, we can that that um, it's just not in the Bible, friends. It's just not there. So anybody that's telling you that, they 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 are misled. Okay, they do not understand. Don't listen to them. Here is a church that Paul is saying is a great church, but they're going through a very difficult time. But even in the midst of a moment of of severe trial and what Paul calls extreme poverty, they're choosing to be generous. I this to me when when I hear Paul say this, what I hear is the activity of the Holy Spirit. What I hear is a people who have such a trust in God to provide for their needs that they do not hesitate, even in a moment of extreme poverty, to turn and to give of what they have. And we're going to talk about that a little more in a minute. But this is a mark. For me, this is a mark of the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because who else, who in the world would do that? When you don't have enough money to get by, why would you give? And people have asked me that over so many times. How am I supposed to give to the church when I can't make ends meet? And I understand why you would say that. And Paul's going to talk about that in a minute. But this was the choice that the church in Macedonia made. They said, yeah, things are really difficult, but we want to, we want to respond not out of fear, but out of faith and out of trust in God, we want to respond and give anyway. It's mind-blowing, and it's amazing. And, and I just, I, I, Paul, Paul is in shock. Paul is, is blown away, saying, I, 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 uh, I'm amazed. They, they exceeded our expectations. They went beyond, in fact, it sounds like Paul tried to convince them, no, 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 it's too much. Don't give so much. Uh, and they said, and they, it's his, he says, they pleaded with him for the privilege of sharing in the service to Lord, to the Lord's people. Hear that. They pleaded with him to share in the privilege. They pleaded with him one of the things that I hate about being a pastor I don't like preaching on giving I don't like asking people to give and I don't like um, <laughs> uh, I don't like asking for money it's really hard for me to do keeps me humble I don't enjoy it. I, it's, it's one of my least favorite things about being about being a pastor. And I would love for more churches and more church people to plead with me for the opportunity, for the privilege of giving to the Lord's people. I don't remember the last time that that happened. 
Where is that impulse in the church of today? Father God, give it back to us. Paul refers to this. So, all right, so verse... I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, that's how things went in Macedonia. I, I'm, I find this whole passage interesting um, because Paul is, <laughs> Paul is sharing a legitimate testimony of another church. But he's also, he, he is, he knows he's dealing with a church that thinks of itself as, as being the best church in the world, basically. <laughs> he says it straight out later. Uh, you, you have, you know, you have been first in so many other things. Be first in this too. And he is using, he is using that to invite them into a deeper level of partnership and generosity. I, I find it really, really interesting um, that he would almost play to their vanity in this. Um, that's the, I, I don't know. It's Paul. I'm not gonna. You know, I just I just find it fascinating. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. So, verse five, they exceeded our expectations. And this for these this little turn of phrase, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Friends, this is what it looks like to step into a lifestyle of giving, where I am giving myself to the Lord, and then as he directs me, I give myself to you. I belong to him. Everything I am and everything I have belongs to him. And when he directs me by the will of God, Paul says, he, they gave themselves to us. They said, Lord, everything we have is yours. Totally open-handed before the Lord. Take what you want. Lead us. And then as the Lord led, they gave. Does that make sense? That right there is the model of New Testament giving. We recognize that Jesus saved us. And because of that, we belong to him. It is not, no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, right? This is, this is us. This is, this is how it works. And we recognize that, that we belong wholly, 100% to the Lord. And so we seek his will in how the, all of the resource that is us is to be given out. What do you want us to do? How do you want us to proceed, Father? Show us and we will obey. That's it. Um, I also, you'll, you find there, you know, the first and second commandment, love God, love people, first to the Lord and then to us. This is what it looks like. To follow Jesus. I belong to you, God, and you tell me where, when, and how I give of myself to others. And then we become obedient there.
Verse 6, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, this is this is that place where Paul's kind of, you know, um, a, l- a little bit saying, you know, you, you know you're the best, so be the best at this. Since you excel at everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So I love this phrase, the grace of giving. I remember where I was the first time I heard it. I was at a church, I was at a visiting a church, um, and when they went to take the offering, uh, the pastor must have, maybe he read this, or maybe he just said it. But the phrase, the grace of giving, just stuck in my spirit. I was probably, I was a teenager, 16, 17, 18. The grace of giving. Paul refers to giving as a charis. That's the word we we thought about naming them. If we had had another daughter, her name might have been charis. That was a thought. Um, uh, C-H-A-R-I-S. It means gift. And it's the same word that's used for the spiritual gifts in like 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul there refers to giving as a spiritual gift. That as the Holy Spirit is active in us, he empowers us to give, to be generous. That as the Holy Spirit moves in us, just as just as, as the Holy Spirit moves in us, prophetic words will come, healing will come, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, uh, a discernment of spirits all these other spiritual gifts that Paul speaks about, one of them is the gift of giving. And he says, I want you to excel in the grace of giving, in the charis of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Allow God to enable you to be generous. Seek his empowerment. Seek his uh, anointing and power to be a person who gives. I don't, we don't think of it that way. I think most of the time we don't. We don't think of this as, like, I've never heard anybody say, oh, I have the gift of giving. Now, I have seen people and I know people who operate in the spiritual gift of giving all the time. They're exceedingly generous. Some of them, God has blessed them financially, and they have become a river of of uh, of generosity, where God pours into them and they pour out into the kingdom, and God pours even more into them and they pour out into the kingdom. And I think that's usually how the gift of giving works. And I've met lots of people over the years that that's just who they are. My grandfather was one of those, where the more he gave, the more God gave him, and the more he gave, and the more God gave him. And that was how he operated all the time. This is who he was. The Lord would, the Lord would bless him financially, and he would turn around and bless like crazy financial, you know, everywhere else when we went for his funeral last summer. Um, over and over again, the people that talked about him 
to us talked about his generosity and how 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 when you look around not just that church but that town how it was that town had the shape it had and and operated the way that it did because because of my grandfather because he lived there because of his lifelong investment in that community that church for sure how many ministries he had started how many things he had done ministry in how often he was financially giving into the church uh, and how generous he had been in that way but also with his presence with his energy with his wisdom with his gift other gifts but not just there the whole town had been blessed by this man who lived a lifestyle of generosity. Um, and the more God gave him, the more he gave. And I've seen that. Um, not just him. I've seen many, many people who've operated in the gift of generosity in such a way that like it's just just it just moved through them. The the power the, the the resource of God just flowed through them. Uh, it's unbelievable and such a blessing to see. And, uh, and I think that's amazing. And Paul is calling the people of Corinth, come, on, come in and participate in this gift. Step in to the river of God's grace, which is flowing now, and, and partner with God in this. Excel in the grace of giving. Now, we know from the first letter of the Corinthians, they excelled in a lot of other spiritual gifts. Now, Paul is encouraging them to excel in the gift, the spiritual gift of giving. Verse 8, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What? Okay. <laughs> Paul says, I'm not commanding you. This is an invitation. And uh, um, hear this from me. Everything that comes out of a Christian pulpit should be should be an invitation. We let the Lord command, we let the word command, and we let, but then we invite. We invite. And Paul says, I'm not commanding you. I but I'm inviting you to show the sincerity of your love. You say that you love, but love has to be lived out, has to be acted out. James, I'm pretty sure, James, who said, faith without works is dead. And that might be from Hebrews. Lord, forgive me, I can't remember right now. Faith, and it's James, faith without works is dead. Okay, that's and Paul's going to that same place. 
You can say that you love, but until that love is acted out, then you haven't demonstrated the sincerity of that love. How sincere is your love? Is it lived out? Is love a verb in your life? Is love something you do, not just something you have? And then he reminds us of the example of Jesus. There's this fancy Latin phrase, Christus exemplar, where we're constantly looking to Jesus and saying, that's how I want to be. Uh, reading a book called Practicing the Way by John Mark Comer right now. It's great. You're gonna, uh, The Fremont Community Church is going to be hearing a whole lot more about that book in days to come. Um, but uh, Jesus called us to come follow him. What does that look like? That looks like getting up and walking behind him. That book, Practicing the Way, that starts with a quote from you know, may, uh, something like, may you be covered in the dust of, of your rabbi. Uh, in other words, as he's walking down the dusty road, the dust is moving backwards and it's landing on me. And that shows how closely behind the rabbi you're walking because you're covered in the dust of his feet. Um, I, I think that's fascinating. And I love that. And, and we have been called to walk behind Jesus that closely, to, to follow in his footsteps. If you remember that great book from years ago, In His Footsteps, which asks the simple question, what would Jesus do? You know, we all when I was a teenager, we all wore the WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Um, and that's the real question. And Paul reminds us of Jesus' example here. And he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Friends, this idea lives should live at the center of our faith. That this is the way that Jesus operated in the world. That this is the way that God operates in the world. This is who God is. God is the one who empties himself to fill you. Now, the amazing thing is that God cannot be made empty. He has an eternal amount to keep giving. He is this constantly flowing waterfall of love, grace, mercy, kindness, generosity. <laughs> he never runs out. And Jesus, as a human being, gave everything that he was. He gave the whole of his human life. He gave the whole of his blood, of his body. I, I'm, I've been struck so much these last couple of weeks around the Eucharist table when we come and I hear Jesus say, here is my body. Here is my blood. This gift, this generosity of Jesus, where he's saying, I'm not stopping with just my words 
I'm not stopping with just the miracles and the power that I have demonstrated. I am continuing forward. I'm giving you my very body, my very blood. It is yours. Here is my body, my flesh. And here is the blood in my veins. These belong to you as well. He did not stop. He gave himself, he gave everything that he was. And reading some of the, you know, some of the um, commentaries around this verse. Of course, I'm reminded of Philippians chapter two, one of my all time favorite verses. You know, he took upon himself the form of a servant, a servant, though, though the, that Jesus, though, um, in the though he was in the form of God, did not consider that that that's something that should be held onto, grasped, like taken advantage of. That that he, but that he gave himself up and took on the form of a man and not just any man but on the form but the form of a servant and then he died and he didn't just die but he died the death of a criminal this the theologians refer to this as kenosis the Jesus this emptying that Jesus does and if Jesus is doing it the father is doing it this gift of all that he is, pouring it in. And Paul is saying, remember that. That is who our God is, and that is how he works. And we have been called, because of because that grace has come to us, now we, we, we partner with that grace, and we do that into the world. We give ourselves, as Jesus gave to us, we give. This is what it looks like for Christians to walk in privilege. I know that's a dirty word sometimes nowadays, privilege. There's nothing wrong with privilege. Privilege is something, it's the very definition of it is, is, is something we didn't earn, but that we have. You know, a gift that we didn't earn, but that we have. So it's not like you shouldn't have privilege, but the question is how do you and how do you inhabit your privilege? What do you do with it? So if you have money or if you have cultural privilege, I'm a middle-aged white American man, which means that I do. I I'm I have, there's a lot of privilege connected to just who I am. Everybody that doesn't look like me is treated differently from me. And that's the truth. I didn't do that, but I need to be aware of it so I can inhabit that in a Christ-like way. And I can turn and use what I've been given to make invitation to others so that they can be brought up empty myself of priv- like 
not, not just throwing away my privilege, but leveraging it to make space for others. And I try and do that. I need to do it more. Jesus certainly did that. He certainly did that. That's who he was. That was at the center of his ministry. The God of all creation pouring himself out for the sake of mankind. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. It's shocking. It should shock us. We should be amazed and we should follow suit. And Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to do the same. Verse 10. So here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So apparently they had already given some money. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Okay, so he says, you started this, finish it. You already gave and you promised to give more. Now give more. Give more. Do what you said you were going to do. Right? Yes and amen. But then he says this, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Paul is saying, I'm not trying to get blood from a stone. I'm not trying to get you to give me something you can't give me. I'm asking you to give what you have. And this is really important. So often when people want to start a lifestyle of giving, they want to move into generosity, um, they, they feel uh, intimidated by this kind of language about sacrificial giving and, and, and a lifestyle of generosity. And they, they've just begun and they're looking at their bank account saying, I don't really have that much to give. Don't let that stop you. Give what you have. Don't give more than you have. Give what you have. What can you give? Give it. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to try and take from you something that you shouldn't have. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Now this right here, these verses right here, we need to hear these verses. Church, you and I, we need to hear these verses because we're Americans. And most of us don't believe in this. And most of us don't want to do it. And I might be talking just to people who are incredibly generous and kind and sharing but I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not saying you're not generous. I'm just saying these next few verses tend to trigger those of us who have grown up in and really care about a consumerist mindset, a mindset that 
operates according to um, an American lifestyle. Are you with me? I'm going to read these to you. Trigger warning, right? That's what I'm doing. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will survive what will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much And the one who gathered little did not have too little. That's from Exodus 16. We live in a country and in a culture that doesn't know what too much is. I'm going to say that again. We live in a country and in a culture that do not know what it means to have too much. We don't think that exists. I have, we we might be able to say I have enough, but then when, when we go over and we have more than enough, we tend, this is why lottery winners end up bankrupt, we tend to just expand our definition of what more than enough means, of what enough means, and we never, we're never at the place where we say, I have more than enough. Very few of us would ever be willing or or able to say, I have more than enough. We're always going to say, I could use more. That's our culture. That's who we are. If I talk to people about extra money, they're going to say, what do you, extra money? What's that? Paul and the Old Testament, by the way, Exodus 16, 18, it's referring specifically to those who were gathering manna off the ground. You were supposed to gather as much as you needed and not more. And that was supposed to be the way that we live in the world, too, that we take as much as we need and not more. So the ridiculously wealthy people that exist in our country right now, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. The ridiculously wealthy people, the multi-billionaires that exist in our country right now. That's not okay. There is a space. I am fine with them earning as much as they want to earn. But we need to be able to recognize, and this is the church first, and then we can talk to the world, but we need to be able to recognize that there is such a thing as more than enough. In fact, let's go further than that. There is such a thing as too much. And Jesus warns us that wealth is dangerous, that it destroys our hearts and makes it difficult for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But we ignore when Jesus says things like that because they don't make sense to us. And here's Paul once again saying, hey, you shouldn't have too much. And when you once you have enough, anything above that should be something you're investing 
back into the body of Christ. What? Yes. So that when you have plenty, you're giving the extra to the one who doesn't have plenty now, and then when they have plenty later, they can give back to you. Is that a lifestyle that we have in our churches? Is that a lifestyle that we have in our nation? No, no, and no. That's what Paul's talking about. Man, I know. I know, right? How dare he? But the earliest form of the church, the church, the form of the church, the thing I call the dream church from Acts chapter 2. Verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We don't even know what that looks like, friends. All right, we're almost running out of time. So then he talks about, you know, Titus is coming and he's going to bring two guys with him. They're coming so that, you know, uh, so that this gift can be protected. They're coming so that this gift can be administrated with accountability and transparency to very important things in the kingdom of God. Churches should not have NDAs, period. Next. We don't know who these guys are. It might have been, one of them may have been Barnabas, because in the Acts passage that we read, Paul and Barnabas were the ones that were kind of tasked with collecting this money and bringing it back to the church. So that might have been one of them. But there's two other guys. We don't know who the other one is. Maybe it's Luke. Some people think it's Luke. And then he commends Titus. He says, he's my partner, my co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they representatives of the church, honor to Christ. Show these men the proof of your love. So, so he's just saying they're coming and they're going to be expecting this gift from you and give it to them. They can be trusted. They're, they're watching each other. And this is going to be done in order and it's going to be done well. Okay, well, that's it. But I think we have enough to chew on for the evening. Oh, Father, will you invite us back into this kind, this way of thinking about money and resource? And we're not thinking about, well, how much can I get? And hoarding resource for ourselves that we don't even need. But that we are really looking to see how much can I invest how much can I invest in the kingdom? How much can I invest in my community? How much can I invest in someone who else who has need? Lord, give us, give us that, the grace of giving, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. My friends, I love you. Have a great week.